Equal access to justice is a core American value. In each episode of Talk Justice, an OSC podcast, we will explore ways to expand access to justice and illustrate why it is important to the legal community, businesses, government, and the general public. Talk Justice is sponsored by the Leaders' Council of the Legal Services Corporation. In all seriousness, the United States is facing the most severe housing crisis we have ever seen. There are approximately 30 to 40 million adults and children at risk of eviction right now. Without the moratoriums in place, and, and we should talk about their effectiveness, but without moratoriums, it's anticipated that about 11.7 million households would receive an eviction notice in the next three months. Uh, that's compared to that 3.7 million in an entire year. Hello, and welcome to Talk Justice, an LSC podcast. I'm your host, Ron Flagg, president of the Legal Services Corporation. In this episode, we will discuss the eviction crisis in our country and how the COVID-19 pandemic is deepening that crisis. My guest is Emily Benfer, a professor at the Wake Forest Law School and founding director of the Wake Forest Law Health Justice Clinic. With the eviction lab at Princeton, Emily has developed the COVID-19 housing policy scorecard. She also chairs the American Bar Association's COVID-19 Committee on Eviction. Welcome, Emily. Thank you, Ron. It's a pleasure to be here. Evictions, one of the biggest issues facing America today. But let's start talking about evictions before the COVID-19 pandemic. Could you tell us about evictions across America prior to the pandemic, their prevalence, the demographics of the folks affected, and the implication of evictions for those folks? Yes, thank you. So COVID-19 struck when the United States was facing the most severe affordable housing crisis in a century. Nearly half of all renters were paying over 30% of their income toward the rent. And among low-income people, about 70% were paying more than half of their income toward the rent. And at the same time, we only had enough affordable housing for one in four renters who are eligible to receive federal financial assistance. So the remaining uh, units were unaffordable for the majority of renters. And at the same time, we were seeing every one minute approximately seven evictions filed for a total of 3.7 on average in a typical year. So this, this was affecting uh, people of color at a much higher rate than other groups. And the pandemic has largely amplified and accelerated that impact, especially on people and communities of color. So, you know, I think we all understand that uh, if you're evicted, you lose your home. But are, are there other implications uh, in terms of, you know, future rental ability, employment? Uh, what, what do your data tell you about that? So eviction affects everything in a person's life. Housing is truly a pillar of resiliency. And without housing, nothing else is possible. In turn, eviction is a jagged, steep, downward slide with no ladder back up. It jeopardizes a family's future housing opportunities and security. It limits access to opportunity, especially as people are attempting to put their life back together. It is both a barrier to employment and a cause of unemployment, and it's a legal record. So it serves as this scarlet E that it scars a tenant's rental history, and it makes it impossible for them to find equal or safe and decent housing because it, it plummets credit scores and many families are prevented from re relocating because landlords screen those rental histories to determine if someone has a history of eviction and if so they block them out of future housing opportunities so as a result eviction always leads 
to a downward move to substandard housing and to communities with underfunded schools, with higher crime, with higher poverty. And in this way, eviction permanently alters a person's life for the worse. It also has severe health impacts. Uh, it's, it's associated with numerous outcomes like increased levels of stress and anxiety and depression, all of which weaken the immune system and increase the risk of contracting COVID-19 at this time. It's also associated with increased all-cause mortality, with increased emergency department use, with mental health hospitalization, with suicide, and it's associated with respiratory distress and disease, which as we know, if you contract COVID-19 can be a risk factor for increased complications and mortality. Ultimately, nothing good comes from eviction, that it, it starts this downward spiral and a cycle due to the high healthcare expenditures and the issues that prevent people from accessing opportunity that increases likelihood of housing uh, precarity in the future as well. Can you tell us about children, both the effects of, well, uh, how do children affect eviction rates and how does eviction affect children? Both. So it, the presence of a child is the single greatest predictor of an eviction in a, in a family's life. Uh, in addition, eviction is an extremely traumatizing event for children. And it's, it's even much more than the fact that they have to watch as their beds, their toys, their books, their clothes are carted off to the sidewalk and left for trash or locked up in a storage unit until the family can afford the high fees to get them out. But in addition, it's a trauma that affects children both emotionally and physically. It, it decreases their physical and emotional development and well-being for years, if not for some for their lifetime. And for children, eviction is also strongly associated with adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. And ACEs have long-term negative health impacts for children, including an increased risk of cardiovascular disease or pulmonary disease in adulthood, among many other issues. It also is a leading cause of lead poisoning, which we know causes permanent brain damage in children. And it's also a cause of food insecurity and uh, academic decline. And as schools are moving to uh, reopen and adopting COVID-19 policies, and many children will struggle to adapt to that, having housing insecurity on top of that may make it really challenging for these children who are also facing eviction and cause further educational setbacks. And I should also mention that mothers who are evicted during pregnancy are more likely to experience adverse birth outcomes. So newborns with low birth weight or uh, preterm pregnancies. So that you can see that eviction, if we allow the eviction crisis to continue and the rate that it's happening, uh, it will impact future generations uh, for well into uh, the coming years and decades. The adverse effect of evictions on children all makes sense to me, but the, the first part of it, which you know, I, I now know to be the fact, uh, just strikes me as, as counterintuitive. Can you elaborate at all on why it is that uh, children uh, are the uh, best correlator for evictions, uh, the increasing the likelihood of evictions? There are numerous reasons. It's also associated with uh, one of the populations that's at the highest risk of eviction is um, black mothers. And so we know that eviction affects people who are black much higher rates than other populations, but it's also there's familial status discrimination happening in widespread across the housing market. Uh, children are often um, 
a high risk for renters and that landlords may think that there's uh, damage or other issues or even risk of being sued for lead poisoning or conditions problems that with children in the home for a landlord that raises additional issues related to um, risk of lawsuits or other harms and so they're the first to be evicted in those communities but it's also the same population that's at the highest risk of uh, suffering job loss, especially during the pandemic due to lack of childcare and schools closing. So being unable to go back to work and seeking employment. Um, during the pandemic, unemployment rates we know peaked at 14.4%. Prior to the pandemic, when the eviction rate was one in seven, one, every one minute seven evictions were filed, the, the unemployment rate was only 4.7%. So we're seeing this skyrocket right now particularly among families. Nearly 50 million Americans filed for unemployment insurance and 20 million of those lived in households that suffered COVID-19 related job loss that were renters. And the majority were among people who were black or Hispanic. And so we're seeing that much higher rate of housing precarity and housing insecurity among this population. Do you have a, a number of, uh, of Americans who you believe are at risk for eviction once uh, the moratoria expire, and we'll get to those in a moment. But right now, if there were no moratoria, how many Americans do you believe would be at risk for eviction, say within the next couple months? In all seriousness, the United States is facing the most severe housing crisis we have ever seen. There are approximately 30 to 40 million adults and children at risk of eviction right now. Without the moratoriums in place, and, and we should talk about their effectiveness, but without moratoriums, it's anticipated that about 11.7 million households would receive an eviction notice in the next three months. Uh, that's compared to that 3.7 million in an entire year. And just to put this in perspective, 30 to 40 million adults and children at risk of eviction compared to in the years following the foreclosure crisis of 2008, only 10 million uh, individuals were displaced from their homes. That's just, that's a, I shouldn't say only, that's a very large number, but we're looking at three times that number in a matter of months, this very truncated period of time. We're all aware that uh, there were a number of state and local moratoria on uh, evictions, or many of those have expired, but right now the one that is extant nationwide is the one that was entered for actually for health reasons by the Centers for Disease Control. How helpful is that and how does that leave the risk of evictions? So I've been tracking the eviction moratoriums across the country since March at both the state, city, and county level across the country. And right now at the state level, there are only 18 state level moratoriums left. And they all vary in level of protection and in the renter who's protected from eviction. And they're also varied in duration. The only state moratorium that is stronger than the CDC moratorium is in Massachusetts. Otherwise, the rest of the states have left very little in place to protect tenants from eviction and all of those harms that I just discussed. Uh, the CDC moratorium offers critical relief to families that the longer you can postpone this harm, the, the more likely a child and adult has an opportunity to, to survive this pandemic and to scrape together the rent and to wait for rent relief from Congress or from other policymakers. So the more time we can buy, the better. Uh, but it, it must be coupled with rental assistance in order to be effective and in order to prevent pushing the burden and the harm onto the property owners, especially small property owners, um, who are also most likely to lack 
access to credit to cover emergency expenses like non-payment of rent. But so the CDC moratorium is a crucial uh, intervention to protect people from harm and also to protect people from the spread of COVID-19 because eviction does result in overcrowded living environments. It results in doubling up, in moving to homeless shelters, and also even crossing state lines just to seek employment or housing opportunities. So it is being challenged in three states, uh, in Tennessee, Ohio, and Georgia. And those have been set for hearings in the next few weeks. So we'll see how, how it fares, but um, hopefully it will sustain those challenges so that we can protect families from harm while decision makers are determining how to best intervene in this. How does the CDC moratorium affect the obligation to pay rent or the accumulation of penalties on unpaid rent. That is one of the problems with the issue, with the eviction crisis, that the CDC moratorium does not stop the crisis. It does not resolve it because it, it, it does not provide for rental assistance. So throughout this time, renters who are accumulating rental debt, it will all become due on January 1st. And it also does not prevent late fees or attorney's fees so in addition to the rent owed, tenants will be responsible for those fees as well. Now, Emily, thank you for all that. I, I would be remiss uh, given my day job if I didn't ask you about the impact that legal aid has, legal aid lawyers have on evictions. Can you talk about that for a moment? I think it's immeasurable. Legal aid lawyers are truly the heroes throughout the pandemic and I've seen them working overtime, responding to incredibly large caseloads and the threat of eviction left and right. We know from studies of the right to counsel in eviction cases that legal representation is pivotal in preserving housing. When New York City passed Universal Council for Income Eligible Tenants, over 22,000 households avoided eviction. Overall, 84% of tenants who were represented by counsel stayed in their homes. And one of the reasons for this is that the eviction system is very complicated and it varies state by state and even county by county. And so it's very challenging for tenants to know their rights and to raise affirmative defensive, such as housing code violations uh, or warranty of habitability issues or due process issues. And during the pandemic, those have just increased. Maintenance has gone left undone due to social distancing and other issues and people are sheltering in place during that time. And at the same time, they have increased affirmative defenses to eviction through the moratoriums and through other factors that they may not be aware of. And the move to remote hearings during the, the pandemic has also increased some due process questions that attorneys can raise on a tenant's behalf that a tenant wouldn't be aware of. And so in, in New York, when they added right to counsel, which is almost entirely legal services attorneys, the eviction rate dropped by 41%, just to give you an idea of how crucial legal services attorneys are in this, in this effort to protect people from this long-term harm. I also just want to mention that by intervening in these eviction cases, legal services attorneys are also preventing, in addition to the comorbidities of eviction, the strain on other aspects of the legal system, that eviction results in harm in the family, juvenile, housing, and criminal systems. And so preventing eviction not only pr protects the health and the well-being of adults and children, it also prevents strain on already overtaxed systems, and it prevents the social costs that taxpayers would have to absorb as well. So truly, their role is immeasurable and, and so critical at this time.
Emily, thank you so much for being with us today and going forward. Uh, Congress has directed LSC to study the unmet legal needs in America concerning evictions and the impact differing state and local laws have on eviction rates. And we've now started uh, our eviction study and I'm pleased to say that Emily has agreed to serve as a member of our advisory committee on our eviction study. So Emily, we look forward to working with you. Stay well and good night. Podcast guest speakers' views, thoughts, and opinions are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the Legal Services Corporation's views, thoughts, or opinions. The information and guidance discussed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. You should not make decisions based on the podcast content without seeking legal or other professional advice.